Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, David Perret, and today we have another exciting episode with Alexander Felice, Alex Felice, brokersofchoice.com, and you will see in this episode that I kind of give him a crummy intro because we were talking all kinds of smack before recording, and so I just hit record and kind of shortchanged him because we're good friends and it is what it is, but if you don't know Alex... He was in the army. Uh, he now owns 30 units. He's done a couple burst strategies with delayed financing, which we talk about towards the end of the episode, which is phenomenal. He's also done a JV with a 24 unit. He's flipping a house. He does some work for bigger pockets. The guy does a little bit of everything. And he's just, I mean, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite people. He's always my roommate when I go to events. So this episode is exciting. This is his third time on the show. He's the only person who's been on the show three times, but it's just always so much fun to talk to him and he brings a lot of energy. So without further ado, show notes are found at from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Monetize. About it on camera. Yeah. It's recording. All right. I'm not even gonna. You know what? We're just gonna start Let's it. Talk about it on I, camera. I'm not even gonna cut any of this out. This is all gonna be the entry of the show. And so one, oh. two, three. Hey, welcome to the show. Today we've got Alex Felice, and uh he's been on the show twice. So if you don't know who he is, go watch his other episodes. I probably gave him a better intro there. Uh he has nice hair and he quit his job, so here he is. There you go. That's all you get to. <laughs> Lucky we're friends because I would never volunteer for that nonsense. My name is Alex Felice. I'm a real estate investor in North Carolina. I've lived in Las Vegas the last three years. I did recently quit my job and moved to North Carolina as a somewhat temporary endeavor so that I could work on my business with the hopes that maybe I won't have to go back to work and it'll afford me, you know, people get stuck in their jobs. So I, it afforded me a, re- a way to 
four months off and invest in projects that have low direct return on investments and high long-term abstract returns on investments. And I figure I can do this for four to six months and see where it goes. And then if it doesn't work out, I can go back to work. Um, and so I, I took that opportunity. Uh, yeah, November. Um, and since we last talked, let's see what we were talking about. Since we last talked, I had, I had seven rental properties, I believe last time. And then now I have eight. Whoop, whoop. And then I have my, and I bought a 24 unit apartment complex. So that's the reason I didn't get to buy that many family last year is because I spent most of my time buying this 24 unit and then trying to manage it. Um, we did a JV with five partners. We raised $280,000. Uh, it was a really good first endeavor into multifamily. And then in late December, and I mean late, like the 28th, I closed on a flip, which is going excellently. In fact, it's now we're, we're 17 days into the year and 10, today will be our 10th day into the flip and we'll be about 90% done. I just shake my head. That sounds like a great story. I hope that it becomes an average story, actually. Yeah. I, no, but I mean, that's the way things are supposed to work. You know? So that's well, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, people ask me, like, how'd you find such a great contractor? And how'd you find such a great team? And, you know, first, luck plays an incredible role in your success. Now, maybe people don't want to hear that. And maybe don't, people don't believe it. But most of the time, I think people just don't want to believe it. Uh, you should read Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Taleb. But the fact remains in my opinion and the math supports it uh luck will play a, a far greater role in anything you do and so people say how'd you find your contractors like first the hard work part i went through three bad ones overpaid they over budgeted they over went over um they went over time and they were difficult to work with and then i found through sheer luck guy dropped into my work and happened to be a real estate investor that we work incredibly well together. And so part of it is luck. Part of it is I invest in him. You know, I sent him 40 rehab jobs last year. And so, yeah, my rehab is going to take sh a short, they're going to go really quick because, well, for a lot of reasons, but I don't want to get too far into it, but yeah. So the flip is going incredibly well. I bought a quart of pink paint yesterday. I saw so, that. What are you painting pink? You'll have to see nothing. It's, not that. it's uh, as usual with me, the theatrics, will be better than the delivery. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it's been an incredibly good year. Um, what else is going on? I did my first speaking engagement, which I know for many people is not that big a deal. I, it's so funny. When I was a kid, everyone seemed to be scared of public speaking. And then I, at 35, I started asking my friends, and I'm like, hey, I got my first speaking gig, and I'm really nervous. And they're like, oh, I do it all the time. And that really incredibly surprised me because... I don't know. I guess it's, my my expectations. But your expectations are right. Your network is different than most. Well, I asked idiots. Oh. I asked my idiot friends and they're like, yeah, I'm speaking, no big deal. And well, you know, I have my, I have my, uh, well, I asked Matt and he does it all the time. My friend Matt Faircloth. Uh, so <laughs> correct. Like some of it is, is my, my network is different. Um, but anyways, I found it to be very, uh, it's been a little bit of an interesting journey, but I was, you know, for 10 years, people have been telling me that I should go public speak and I've always been really scared of it. And then only recently where I felt intellectually confident enough that I could go and teach people something without feeling that, you know what I hate in the world? I hate the blind leading the blind. I never want to be part of it. So when I talk, I try to only talk about things that I've really, you know, what's the old saying? You, once you read three books on a subject, you know more than 99% of people. 
try to get to like the seven book level before I open my trap about a topic. <laughs> yeah, I find that the hardest part about speaking for me is, and, and I haven't done, I've done a few gigs here and there, but a lot of it's just been me and Toastmasters or, or like recruiting or, you know, scenarios. The, the hardest part for me is usually like figuring out what I want to talk about. Cause a lot of what I, you know, am very familiar with is stuff that I'm like, my goodness, this would make paint dry. Like people do not want to hear me talk about numbers. Right. You know, so I found that I, I'm a really good BSer when it comes, like I'm really good on the spot. And so like I, I gave it, I had to give a speech last week at Toastmasters. I'd signed up for it and I was just not in the mood to give a speech at all. And I literally just was sitting at work one day and I was like, uh, this like wrote four words under it was like, yeah, we'll make it up as we go. And like, to me, that's easier than, uh, like trying to prepare some crazy thing is like, okay, we'll just see how this turns out. It's funny. Okay, you're right. People are okay, David, but How do you talk to an audience of 200 people that uh, maybe are equal to your experience level or better? Well, I you think know? in that case, I'd probably be more comfortable talking about something that I actually like, like something that would be quote boring for most people or whatever. So, but you're right. At that point, you actually have to prepare bullets and, and, and maybe slides or however, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. So I had all PowerPoint slide, which I get to the event and it wasn't the, their PowerPoint situation. Well, it actually like it was kind of my fault, but uh, <laughs> well, we didn't have PowerPoint. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting deal. And I have that same problem, you know, and I also hate Rhea. Is that a Rhea? Mm. Uh, uh, Kevin Leahy, he produces a bigger pockets podcast. Him and um, Russell asked me to come talk at their DC reading. Anyways, um, I wanted to do the same thing. I don't want to talk about Burr, right? Because one, not everybody in the room cares about Burr. Two, yeah. there's a lot of people there that are way more experienced than me. And so this is why I read so many books. This really is it. Because if you want to sit, I was thinking about this the other day. I wrote a half an article about it. You know, what's the old saying? You want to be the stupidest person in the room? Mm. Okay. You want to be the dumbest person in the room? Well, that's not a good feeling to be the dumbest person in the room. You don't have anything to say to be the dumbest person in the room when people talk. And, it's and what's the point of being the dumbest person in the room? To get smarter, right? So this is why I recommend people to read all the books. Yeah, not, not the easy books and not the books that are commonly regarded in your peer group or in this peer group, but the books that your peers are unwilling to read. They're really difficult books because then when you get into a room where you, where you may be the, less, the least accomplished, you're not the dumbest. Then you have something to say. And I find more often than not, um, people that are more accomplished than me are older. And so they've had more time in it, but that doesn't mean that they've spent that time reading as much. And so... I say all that to say what I gave my talk on, I, I tried to give a talk on something that was high enough level that could be applicable to people of all experience levels and all interests. And uh, to give you the, the pitch, the pitch was, you know, to kill your 2020, you need to do these three things every single day. Educate. That's books, podcasts, and uh, other people's websites like yours that teach people what to do every single day. Network every single day. That's in person, digitally, and uh, individually on a digital level, every single day, every single day. And then the third one is create content. And I'll, I have a long uh, diatribe about that. And what I do not mean under any circumstances is to repurpose somebody else's content mm. quotes. I hate when you share other people's quotes, get your own. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's intellectual property and that's the, and that's, that was the pitch. The pitch wasn't content for the sake of marketing. It was to build your intellectual property because intellectual property is going to become incredibly hilariously, perhaps the most valuable thing in the very near future. It's happening now. Uh, if you look at Netflix, bigger pockets are going through the exact same thing with Brandon. They're like, Hey, Brandon wants to branch off as, on his own. Well, 
what is what is bigger pockets without Brandon Turner? It's like, well, it's something, but not as much, right? And so the talk was, and that's how I got around that problem. It's like I can talk about something that maybe a lot of people know about, but not everybody knows everything. So I got to give a little bit to I, I tried to be well rounded enough that I, I was able to give a little bit to everybody, and that was, it was very well received. And I was actually after the first two minutes, I felt incredibly confident and comfortable. So I'm going to do that a lot more. Yep. And it, that's funny because that's, yeah, what I always, I say like learn, network, take action, but you know, take action is just a general term, but content is, is super. I mean, I just wrote an article for bigger pockets like two, three weeks ago about how free content or, you know, content, content, content is, is how you win the game. Um, and, and obviously it's not the only thing, right. But I mean, I've had some pretty crazy opportunities come up just by producing content, which takes my website what, brought me my 24 yeah, exactly. So, and you mentioned the intellectual property, I guess that should, we should probably go into uh, what we were talking about before we started recording, where we started recording and the beginning of this podcast starts with, let's talk about that when we're recording and that we didn't talk about it at all. So uh, you want to pick up where we left off with the YouTube thoughts? YouTube is my main focus 2020. Real estate, I'm going to do, I'm going to turn my flipping business into an active business and I'm going to buy another multi-family and that's secondary to YouTube. And, you know, it's real estate related because real estate is underserved in, on YouTube. And so here's what happens. Like you should put your story on YouTube because there's a few things that are going to go on. One intellectual property is going to, is on the rise. Netflix saw it. If you, if, if you didn't notice that Netflix lost 30% in one day when they lost the fr uh, friends in the office this year, uh, they lost 30, their stock went down 30% in one day when they announced that they lost those two shows, which is telling on two ways. One, it shows you that Netflix, um, their entire business model is on software, not, and, and anybody can make the software. That's scary. It's the same reason why, um, same reason why Uber should be really scared because they make software. They don't make cars. GM can make an Uber app. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's the intellectual yeah. property. Um, it's the intellectual property. And the second thing you have to uh, consider is binge culture. The reason why Office and the Friends, uh, Friends and all these other shows are popular that are old, there's no reason why The Office should be the number one show on Netflix when it ended 10 years ago. It ended 10 years ago after nine seasons. Jesus. Um, and it's because people binge. They binge, they binge, they binge. Anytime you found a new podcast, like Bigger Pockets, and then you're like, what do you do? The first thing you do, you go back and you start from episode one and you binge. You find a new TV show. It's like, I don't want to watch that TV show until it's five seasons and I know I can go off and watch them all in one weekend. I binge. And so you and me and everybody who's smart, just me, needs to start producing content on YouTube immediately. Not for today and not for monetization tomorrow and not for six months from now, but in six years from now. Because in six years, what happens is people are going to find you and they're going to binge on all your stuff, especially if you're good. They're going to binge on all your stuff. And guess what? YouTube is the only platform, the only medium, the only business that I can think of. And I've been saying this just like this because if you have an example, please let me know. But I haven't th thought of any. It's the only business model I know that's backwards monetizable, meaning I can produce a video today and I can upload it. And then in six years when I become big and I get 300 to 400,000 subscribers, people can go watch those old videos and I can stick ads in them and then make money on them. I don't know any other product that you can do that where you can backwards monetize something from six, 10 years ago. Now YouTube's still new. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it's brandy brand day one, almost brand new. And you can tell 
because the biggest YouTube stars cater to 13 year olds. They're idiots. Jake Paul and some dude that wears makeup that my wife likes. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, it's like the same reason why video games, when we were kids, video games were catered to kids. Now video games are catered to 40 year old guys. Why? Because the kids all grew up when they were kids. It was new. Well, YouTube's new when we were kids. And as we grow up, it's like YouTube's going to cater to the people with money. That's going to be 35 to 55 year old uh, adults. So you start now because it's going to blow up. It's not even getting, it's not even getting started yet. YouTube. Well, and there's some other benefits with it, right? Because Google owns it. If you get a video that links for a keyword, it'll show up on Google search results too. So you get even more traffic, but then it's also, it's evergreen if you get the right keyword. So not that I have any huge videos. In fact, I just had my first one hit like 10,000 views, but that video I posted a year ago and it got a little bit of traction and it got just enough traction that when you type in the words, how to get rich in the military, it's the first search result, which is not a huge search keyword, but it gets 40 to 50 views every day or two. And it has for months now, it just picked up and slowly it's like, you know, once I got monetized, I mean, that video has made me maybe like $4 in one month. Then it made me like $6 in one month. I think it made like $10 last month. And it's like, I didn't ever, I, but at the time that I recorded that, I wasn't making a penny on YouTube. So yeah. if it just keeps rolling, cool. And real estate is underserved in, um, on YouTube. I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got some videos on that that have, I mean, all my stuff on the VA loan does really well. All my stuff on, if you find like a niche, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to keep good luck. If you go on YouTube and you make a video that's like real estate investing and somehow you make it on the first page, like, please tell me your secrets and let me come work for you. Um, But you know, but there's niches, right? So like if you were to do a video on delayed financing, there's probably not much out there on that, but I guarantee people are searching for it at least on some level. You know, once you rank on that, then you'll be able to rank for other financing related, like words related to that on other videos. And you can kind of build off that. And it, yeah, it grows. I mean, I'm, I was, when I first, it took me, I don't know, almost a year to get a thousand subscribers. Now I get like 300 a month <coughs> doing nothing but the same postings and it just grows as you grow. Yep. Now, I, now I will say, the downside to now it's going to grow, right? Especially right now where the market is insane. So you have to be very competitive and I'm not, I'm just getting started. But I guess I say that all to say, like if you're scared of YouTube, then that's why you 100% need to do it because it's going to grow without you and it's a comfort thing. So like you have to get comfortable with it now. I know you're really good on camera. I'm not nearly as good as you as producing videos, but I also refuse to produce videos as low quality as yours. So I've, I've put out over 250 videos on YouTube too, though. So my first, my first lot was not comfortable at all. Yeah. That's exactly my point. You get better. You get better. Uh, and in fact, now I've hired a video production crew to do, to follow me around this flip. Um, and we bought a whole bunch of GoPros. It's going to be, we got some tricky stuff coming out. Yeah. That's um, good. And, uh, and, I'm, and we're just getting started, you know? So what I'm going to try to do is I'm not going to try to do ed, Talk, I'm going to do talking head educational videos, but I think I'm going to do those for BP. What I'm going to do for my show, I think I'm going to number it and do, you know, who, you know who's good on, on, on this is Gary Vee. And, you know, what's he say? Just document it. Yep. Just document it. Just document it. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, epi- I'm, going to, I'm going to do it episodic. It's going to be episode one, first flip, whatever the case. And I might do it. I might just do it weekly and just do a weekly episode, maybe a monthly episode, whatever the case. And you number them so that things are better. And it's just going to be 
practicing my videography skills, practicing um, flipping and just telling, telling stories and trying to teach along the way and being very uh, personal and thorough and, and authentic and transparent and just, you know, keep it growing. And here's the thing, you know, if you want to grow on, if you want to grow these days, if you want to in social media, you need to have one or two of a few different things. Like one, you need to be credible. Uh, two, you need to have a good personality. Three, you need to have, you need to know your stuff. And so you can get someplace without all three of those, right? Or four, you need to have extremely good videography skills, right? You have to be really good vi visual storyteller. Yeah. And so you can get away with only one of those. Hey, like, you know something, but your videography looks terrible and you know, you don't have that much exposure and you, or you don't have that much experience, but you know your stuff. Okay. Well, you can make some videos, but you're only going to go so far. Or if your personality is dull, I have a friend who has an incredible storyteller, a digital story storyteller, and he knows his stuff, but he doesn't have that much experience and his personality is dull. And so it's like, dude, you're limited. You can go far, but you can't go the farthest. And so I think, and I haven't fleshed that out, so I'm just kind of spitballing, but those are the four things. You need to be a good visual storytelling. You need to be happy you know your stuff. Um, you need to have a dynamic personality and um, something else. What did I say? <laughs> um, um, but so, yeah, something. So anyways. Like I said all that to say, if you're, how, how do I say it? If you're, if you can get on camera and you can, and you can tell your story and you can tell it dynamically, <clears throat> but you don't have that much experience, you can only go so far. But if you're like, Hey, look, I'm not that good on camera, but I just closed a million dollar deal. People perk up and vice versa. Hey, look, I just bought my 10,000th apartment building and I'm starting YouTube. It's like people will watch because they're like, this guy's got the credibility. So now imagine if you, and then you have guys like uh, uh, Gary Vee who has experience, right? He has the credibility because he has, he has actual accomplishments. He's dynamic. Uh, he's a dynamic character. He has good videography, uh, video storytelling. You know what I mean? It's like once you have the, once you have the trifecta, you're in the zone. Um, and you need so, to evoke emotion, right? Because even if like, like Gary pisses a lot of people off and that works in his favor, huge. Well, the dynamic personality. It's exactly, it's, you yeah. know, so the more you get people riled up, whether they love you or hate you, if you can kind of find a way to split that, right? Like. That's what I've been working on all year. Notice you, want, you want more love when it comes to your videos because the likes definitely work more than the dislikes. But like I had someone trolling my page yesterday and <clears throat> it was ridiculous how offended this guy got on some like he posted some comment on one of my videos that was like i'm joining the military for money and benefits and nothing else and i and i, and I just commented and i was like hey man good for you uh, but if you don't have like some inner like 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 drive for joining the military like i would caution you about joining the military because like you're probably going to be miserable for four years if money is the only reason you joined like let's be real I, well you want to be real i think that's why 99.9 percent .9 of people join the military I, I, I would agree. And, and, and that's why 99% of them are miserable. I was going to say, a lot of people do join for money and, and look at how they get by year three, right? Um, you know, so, and, and he got so mad, right? He was like, God, I was like, okay, hey, whatever, man, like go for it, you know? But, uh, but I just kept going with it because I'm like, the more this guy comments, the more this video gets shared. So yep. That's my whole social media strategy. Bring it on. <laughs> like, that's my whole social media strategy since 2016 uh, Donald Trump election. Dead serious, right? I mean, that's what he does. Whether you, you don't need, you either love him or you hate him, and he has so much free media. It's like Elon, right? right? Like that guy. Yeah. Everybody, everybody hate loves or hates what Elon does, but the guy gets a ton of free publicity because his shit just ends up all over the place. Yeah, but he has the opposite. Well, they have very different strategies. Yeah, Elon, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I mean, absolutely. I can piss you off. Uh, he, he tries to do good, but if you piss you off along the way, he doesn't matter. But his accomplishments speak for themselves. Donald Trump's whole game 
and this is what I love about him. One of the, this is the one thing I love about him. <laughs> so, uh, he, he did not try to go out and, and attain uh, a 75% of the user base to like him. He didn't even go for 50, 50%. What he's really done is just try to go to the 49% and piss him off. If you can piss off the 49%, then the other 51 love you. And so my whole game lately on Facebook, I don't know if you notice, is like, hey, just, I'm just... I'm not, I'm just antagonizing with people that I already know aren't going to like me. <laughs> yep. So, but I have to admit on YouTube, um, I love it when people trash talk me. I genuinely like it. I get, it fires me up. Cause I'm like, you know, I think that's such, okay. It's good press, but it's also deeper than that. Right. Let's, let's talk about it a little bit deeper when somebody doesn't like you. And then they take the time to comment. Thanks. That is the option. That is the ultimate, that is the ultimate uh, user. That's your ultimate, that's the, like the people who like you and comment, thank you. But you like, I mean, it wasn't, the, to piss somebody off so much that they have to say something about it is like, you really got to that person. You really touched them. And I think that's incredibly valuable. So for me, when somebody's like, you know what, Alex, I can't even watch you, this video because your, your hair looks stupid. You know, and I've gotten that on YouTube, you know, and BP and the B, if you had a BP channel and you look at my videos, like they can't, I saw that. I can't take this guy seriously because of his hair. And I'm like, you know, the things that I'm talking about, I really know my content. I act like an, I act like a, I'm very theatrical on purpose, but I really know my stuff. You know, I was talking about underwriting, which I, I'm an underwriter. Did for years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and so I was like, I was, so I said, you know, this guy didn't even comment on my content. He didn't comment on my ideas. He just critiqued my hair, which I only do for theatrics. So I was like, this guy, this guy loves me. He's my biggest fan. He just can't admit it. And I say, so it just, it drives me. So I go on YouTube and I'm like, I just, I don't know. It, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard where YouTube doesn't, the comments, because YouTube is probably the worst comment section in all, on all of the internet. Yeah. I had um, this troll who, who like went off on one of my videos once. And, and at first, I mean, it was my first like real, like a hater quote unquote, like the guy's, sounded kind of like he knew what he was talking about, but it was just very like the thing he went off on me about was, it was something similar. It was like a, a video on leverage or something. And he was just like, ah, you know, and it wasn't even like I buy in cash and here's why it was just like, you know, everything you did is wrong. And I was, I was kind of frustrated. I responded, whatever. Cause I didn't, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then this guy went and watched like 10 videos just to comment. Right. And I, and by the end of it, I'm just like, I really appreciate the watch time. Like you helped all of these videos out. Thank you so much for your attention. <laughs> like, I'm just like, man, this guy hated me so much that he just spent an hour and a half going through. I mean, it was probably hour and a half, two hours worth of videos. And the comment showed that he was at least watching half of them. You know, <laughs> like awesome. Yeah. So come back for more. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate because the way we're wired, we're wired to be vocally angry, which really tears us apart in many ways as a culture, as a society. Um, you know, this is a problem clickbait I hate and, um, and this vitriolic by design content. Like I don't try to be vitriolic by design. I try to be. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I don't do this often, but you can't go ahead and use the word vitriolic on a military podcast and not give a definition. Are you, calling your are you saying your users don't have a good dictionary? I'm saying dictionary? that they're too lazy to look it up and they're going to just be like, huh? Is that um, making stuff up? <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm, I, you know what? To David's viewership, 
I respect you more than he does, just so you know. Vitriolic, uh, uh, filled with bitter criticism or malice. There you when go. you go on the internet and you get angry, you spew. <laughs> but when it, the, 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 the way it's common, these you spew, spew vitriol, and it's like when you're just going on there and like, like you just said, like somebody gets on. Well, you see it on political posts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other team. team. The, the other news, team. The news <laughs> is just crazy, and people are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you don't watch politics." Are you kidding me? You can't believe I don't sit around and watch that. Like, what possible good thing could come out of that that I won't? I won't. If it's important, I promise I'll know about it. But like, man, it's funny. You like when when uh, two weeks ago when everything was going on in the Middle East or whatever. And and they shut our computers down. So all you could do is use like .miller.gov websites and still. Um, but you could use Google, but you couldn't click any of the links. So all you could do is like type in a word and see what was trending, right? Headlines. So, I, so I would type in like Iran because we don't, that was the only way I could see anything unless I was outside the office. And, uh, you know, I don't get to do that often. And it's just hilarious to see like, I don't know, we'll just use an example. Like Iran is terrorism shot down airplane. You know, and then like America causes Iran to shoot dead. Like it's like the exact same article, but it's just the headline is so different and so angry. And you're like, wow, depending on how people look at this, it's like I either hate this person or I hate this person, but it's the exact same information. And it's it's crazy. And they're so good at it. People get well, so not new. mad. I know, new. Oh, yeah, I know. Your, uh, your content uh, book or whatever is like one of my next two on my list. Manufacturing consent. There you go. That one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Iran, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go into the actual, yeah, read that book. Yeah. I mean, they're I mean, just, it's a really good way for the media to get clicks. It works at the cost of people's lives. I mean, whatever the, I don't mean Iran, whatever the event, right? 9-11. It's a really good way for, uh, the media to, to, and the, and the government to generate, uh, in, uh, interest in what they're trying to do, uh, at the expense of people's lives. But uh, there is no moral high ground for anybody to be had. No, nope, nope, nope. And when you are the moral high ground or you try to be like the voice of reason, everybody hates you, <laughs> which is hilarious. So, which manufacturing, manufacturing yeah. consent, read that book. Yep. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash military millionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash military millionaire. So yeah, so as we've mentioned, uh, content is, I mean, it's huge, guys. Like, it's free, It's it's but it's something you can always use. Like, for example, I'm learning, you know, I've never, I don't want to say I've been a good speaker, but I'm not a terrible speaker. Like you throw me in front of a bunch of people, I'm comfortable enough that I can, I can make it through whatever. Right. Like I think that's part of that's recruiting part of that's just that I forced myself to do it enough. Cause I was this weird homeschool kid who could have never talked to a group of people in my life as a high schooler. Um, but you know, I've gotten better at it, but what I've done is every time I've spoken, whether at Toastmasters or a, a virtual event or a, a RIA or whatever, I've recorded it. And so I have this little Google drive with like 15, 10, 10, 15 little uh, speeches, right? And including like one or two where I was talking in uniform to my Marines about finance. And so I know that like, as I go forward, I can pull chunks out of stuff and I can put that oh, in. Oh yeah, you get a little and, later. 
Yeah. So that's my, that's my intent is that as, as it grows, I can use it for, you know, like a, like a speaker, like a, what it highlights or whatever, but I can also use it as content and, and learn how I'm doing. But then, you know, I posted uh, my last two ticks or my last two Toastmaster speeches on Instagram and they had a ton of views. People loved it. And I'm like, Oh, well that's useful. Cause all I did was set literally just walk up and set a camera on the table in front of me. My point, like nobody, the, the, my point, not that many people are trying, no matter how, despite how it may seem, not that many people are trying. David Perret can be successful at this. Anybody can be successful at this. I mean, you just that said, was, right? You that just was, said that I was very a, well planned. I like you just that. said I gave, a, I gave a little talk. I put minimal effort. I just threw up on Instagram and then people liked it. It's like, dude, the barrier to entry is zero. Zero. Document. Like, just get out there and do it. Me, there's no reason why I should be as popular as I am, except I try. That's it. Who fucking knew? Oh, can I swear in here? Who fucking knew? Trying would work so well. Let's talk about real estate. Well, and you point, and as you pointed out, like most of my videos are talking head because I just the amount of stuff that I try to put out, I don't have. I, I'm well for one, I'm not as talented or, or as at the like I've done the whole vlogging thing, but like my visual storytelling is still a work in action. But what it is? I mean the t- yeah yeah I'm I'm not I don't have as much as I need for a lot of stuff I'd like to do. And then I'm a one man show and you know, there's a whole bunch of excuses. Uh, and so for me, like the talking head makes sense a lot of times because it just saves so much time and you know, I have a lot of that stuff, Yes, um, but it saves so much time yeah. that I can get it out there. Uh, and I'm still doing quite well without that piece. Right. And I know that I, I want to, I'm going to start doing, I'm trying to collab with someone this weekend to go do some, some live shooting. Um, you know, cause I'm trying to get, you get more bigger, you'll that. find people that want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got uh, the guy I'm doing. Well, I'm doing lunch to uh, hopefully tomorrow with the guy who's got like 250,000 subscribers on YouTube. His content's totally different niche, but he's a big military YouTuber. And so hopefully we can find a way to, you know, get together on something. And if not, if nothing else, I'm getting around people who are doing it well. Anyway, uh, real estate. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk to you unless you had a specific subject. I want you to talk through uh, delayed financing real quick. Delayed finance is something that I became really popular for because I talked about on the bigger pockets podcast. I perfected the system uh but well the problem is people get dis it sounds I'll, I'll give you this warning up front it sounds way better than i make it sound better than it is it's good <laughs> but what i what problem i had is i went on the, po- uh, the podcast and i told about this and people got all excited and then people have never done a deal they're like i want to use delayed finance for my first deal and i'm like dude so if it's your first i highly i, I recommend skipping it but uh, what it is, is it, it's, uh, if you're doing Burr, which I was, and you want to skip the six month seasoning period and you want to get the fancy 30 year Fannie Mae mortgage, which you do, and you want to get a hundred percent of your rehab funds back. There is, there is no product that will let you do that. There is no way for you to get a hundred percent of your money back with no seasoning and get the Fannie Mae loan, right? That would be the dream. Well, I figured out how to do it and it's mostly legal <laughs> it is legal we checked with um with them but it's like uh well my my fear is as it gets more popular we'll, they're gonna change they're gonna crack, crack down on it but it is legal we've had never had a call back we know how to buy back and they know we're doing it so uh what you do is normally you go to a bank and you say hey i want to refinance this house and they say we'll give you 75 percent ltv but you gotta wait six months right okay so they have this delayed finance exception, and the rule is, and it's really important. It's really important to be the, to get the details here. The rule is, you can get back 
With no seasoning, you can get back 75% of LTV or 100% of your HUD 1, line 120, whichever one's lower. Well, if you, on your HUD, that's the settlement statement. That's what you pay for the house. So you buy a $30,000 house, you put 30 grand into it, it's worth 100. Or so let's say you, put, you buy a house of 40, you put 35 into it, it's worth 100. So you're all in it for 75 and it's worth 100. So you go to a bank and they say, but you can, if you want to do late finance, you can only get your 35 grand back or your 40 grand back. So what I started doing was I put my rehab, I paid for my rehab at the closing. So when I go to the bank, when I go to close the house for a $40,000 house, I give them 75 grand cash. That's the other thing with delayed finance. It has to be your cash. If you're borrowing money, it don't work. Don't even try hard money, even private money. It doesn't work. It has to be your, what they call it, arms length funds. So your money, a HELOC, an equity line, um, or something. It's gotta be your money. I think you could do a credit cards, but that fucking that scares the shit out of me. People use it hard money these days. Like I know a lot of people are going broke on hard money right now. Just so you know, it can happen to you, bro. You can go broke. Um, uh, and it's gonna get worse. So, so I said I'm gonna pay my. Con- I'm gonna. What you do is you bring an invoice to the title when you go to close. You bring an invoice for t- uh, from the contractor and you say, hey, my, the work is gonna be thirty five grand. So here's forty plus the invoice plus the thirty five grand. It goes into escrow. They cut the checkout, thirty-five grand to the to the, uh, the contractor. You can probably negotiate with your title attorney to do it in draws because you don't want to give your contractor all that thirty-five grand, right? Unless you have a good contractor like me, and I give it all to him all at once. Have been for three years now, and so again, this is why you don't want to do it. That's why beginners don't want to do it. The important part is that delayed finance is something you use when the system is getting in your way. But when you're new, the system is not getting in your way. You're still trying to build the system. Time is you're getting in your own way. A you're getting in your own way. Yeah, the benefit to you. Like the patience is the virtue. And I didn't do delayed finance for my third or fourth one because then it's like I had a realtor. I had a system for finding deals. I had a system for rehab and uh, rehabbing them. I had a system for refinancing them, and I had a good tenant placement. And I knew that. And I knew all the. the I just had to re- rinse and repeat. That's all it was. Like I just had to rinse and repeat. I was done in ten weeks, and then I had to wait. You know, another three and a half months, four months to get it done. It's like, dude, let's add delayed finance. Okay, fine. Most people, when they're new, it's like, well, the whole project took you four months, and now you're mad because you had to because you couldn't save two. Like, just go slow. So, if you want to use delayed finance, you need to use your cash. You need to have an extremely good um, rep, uh, relationship with your contractor, and extremely good. And I don't mean somebody you like that you trust. I mean. I mean, you should have no worry about giving them thirty grand. None. I do not worry at all. I'd give him, I'd give, I'd give my contractor hundred grand cash, no problem. In a, I could go do it this morning. No, no big deal. I'd have zero worry. Um, and I, we can talk in depth about how to create those relationships. Uh, but that's what delayed finance is. It's a way for you to skip the seasoning, get a thirty-year Fannie Mae mortgage, get all your rehab funds um, with no seasoning. Um, but the way you have to do it is complicated and requires deep, uh, deep relationships into your infrastructure. Yeah. Cause the last thing that most people want to do is start out giving a ton of money to a contractor because even if, I mean, stuff happens, right? So even if you like, you, well, we all, I don't know if maybe, maybe not everybody knows my situation, but the, the contractor I used on this last job came extremely highly recommended from a lot of people and the contractor who, the one contractor who's like a personal friend who I, who, who I would have no problem giving like a hundred thousand dollars to at all. Uh, he's just so good that it's like, well, I got to wait months 
for this guy to work on something, right? But he yeah. knew the guy and and vouched. You know, he's like, yeah, that guy's great. You should go for it. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and I had a lot of other people that I respect who vouched as well. Um, and you know, something. It was my first time using the guy, but it, he overextended. <clears throat> I became the Peter to rob that that got robbed to pay Paul, right? Like yeah. it, it Did wasn't. You meet him? Did oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Him? I met him in person a few times. I mean, great vibes. Wife loved him. Uh, the the wholesaler who recommended him to me had done five flips with him, uh, and one of them is the one that just got burned as well with me. So what did I tell you in the beginning that that nobody wants to hear? Luck. Yeah, exactly. Like, and when I say luck, I mean luck and unluck. Right? Yeah, like. I totally acknowledge that this guy means well, like he's still talking to me. We're trying to find solutions. It's not like he just ghosted on me, but shit happened. And I was shit. the shit that got shit on. Um, yep. and, and you know, it's, it, it is what it is, but I definitely will never give anyone 35 grand without having done a project with them and, and known, you know, how work. And I'll always be cautious at this point because I know that this guy was the first few weeks went great. And then it yep. just, I don't know what happened. You know, I mean, I know yeah. what happened, but, let me throw a wrench in your in your game here. <clears throat> so you got you have you have an inverse now, and you don't, don't trust people because they know you don't trust them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a relationship that you come into and you're jaded, right? It's like the other person's like, dude, I didn't do anything to you. You have to invest into that person selflessly and fearlessly for the relationship to work. Yeah, you have to. If you're like every, it's like if you're go, you go to a relationship, you're like, well, my last girlfriend cheated on me, so now I want to check your phone every day. It's like, dude, it's not gonna work. And so the contract is the same way. It's like, well, the last contract that burned me, so now I'm going to keep you on a super tight leash. And it's like, the guy's like, I'm doing good work. I don't need that. And there's other people to make money off, uh, make money with. So you, you I, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm just saying like, look at the other side. If you go too cautious and you micromanage people too much, and this is what happened to new contractors. Like, I'm going to buy all the materials. I'm not going to give you anything. I'm going to keep you on a super tight leash. It's like, dude, you're making the guy's life hard. If he's really good, he don't need you. He don't need that heart, that pain. So... So it's a very delicate balance of, you know what I do? Here's a good tip. Here's what I do to get, to, to, to get people to work well with me. I send them business first, mm. right? And so this is where you're networking and your production handy. Because as your exposure gains, right, people start coming to you and they say, Alex, I need a contractor in Fayetteville. And I say, how about you use this guy over here, right? I haven't used him yet, but he, he, my guy's busy, all right? My guy's busy, but this guy over here, you go check him out. I'm not vouching for him, but here's a contact. Well, say it works out. Well, now the contractor's like, thanks, Alex. And then that guy's like, hey, I did good business. Well, now I can send you some more. Now I can send you some more. Well, by the time I send you send 10 deals, one, I like when people owe me. Two, uh, I have a deep relationship with that guy when we didn't have to exchange a dollar. Three, he loves me because I send him, I send him so much business. And the, and the people that I sent them to are happy. Well, so, the principle of uh, reciprocity, right? Like it, you say you like when people owe you, but that's, that's what it is, right? Like if you give somebody a gift they're going to feel like they owe you, even if you don't care. And I never cash in. I just like the feel. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's a good way to build a, I, I do say like my, my property manager is phenomenal and she has been forever. And I love that. She's going to keep being phenomenal because I just sent her someone who had 26 units in his portfolio and I send her, you know, whatever all the time. And, and so I know that if something goes wrong and she overextends, I'm not going to be the person who gets burned. Well, that's not a good way to look at it, but I understand your point. But, but yeah, but it's just, I know, but it's just the relationship side. Like she's awesome. Right. And I send her business because she's awesome. And I, that's an interesting point too. Like, you know, people hit me up uh, yesterday. I had two video chats. I do video chats on my website is a shameless plug. I do video chats on my website, just like this with strangers every Thursday night. If you want to sign up, it's free. Uh, 
I do it basically two hour clips with strangers. I do it book every Thursday now. And Jeez. so last night, two people called me with the exact same problem uh, of different. They, they said, I have three pieces of the puzzle, but I can't find the fourth. You know, I got a contractor, I got a property manager, I got a lender, but I don't have a realtor. Or I got a realtor, a contractor, a property manager, but I can't get the lender. And so it's interesting that, just so you know, like as you're building your team, you know, it's statistics, rolling the dice, right? It's like it's easy to get 25% of fantastic. If, if your team is four people and you get, to get one of them, that's amazing, is easy statistically. Two of them, not so hard. 25%, that's tough. 100% is incredibly difficult. So when you're building your team, remember like, hey, look, oh, some people, when we're talking about this, like some people are going to be like, oh yeah, find a contractor is miserable. It's like, okay, yeah. Some people are going to, are hearing this and they're, uh, and they're like, well, I have a great contractor, but I can't find a good property manager. It's like, yeah, same problem, just a different piece of the puzzle. And so, exactly. uh, but, but the thing is the same. Anyway, it's like send people to the property manager that you want to use and feel them out, see how they do business. And you uh, know, what's funny about that is subconsciously, <clears throat> A lot of times it's the people who it usually, it seems like the position that you fear the most is the one that you don't find the good. So like if that, and you say luck or whatever, but like I had no issues finding a perfect, an amazing property manager. Cause I, I wasn't worried about it. I interviewed three or four and I was like this one uh, realtor. <clears throat> my first one was okay. And then I found another one and she, she's been amazing. And now I have a second who's a backup and he's awesome. Um, you know, whatever they're, whatever. But like the contractor's always been the piece that I'm like, man, you know, I, 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 I don't know. And like, that's the one that I, I well, contractors are harder to ingest in general, to be okay. honest. Well, that makes me feel better, but I don't need to feel better. Um, but you know, I, I feel like, like a lot of people who don't find a good property manager is like, they're just like scrounging for air and they take anyone who says, oh, I can manage your properties. And it's like, mm, that's not yeah, desperation will make you make really bad choices. I need to get somebody in here. Let me hire any private manager and take any tenants. Like that's gonna be worse. That's gonna be worse than being patient. That's gonna cost yeah. me more money than it is to save. Also, you know, you have to understand the nature of who works for who, uh, or, or who's 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 the correct client base, who's the correct vendor for what demographics. So, like property managers, guess what? They only deal with landlords, so they're geared perfectly for you. Contractors, you know, who knows? They might have been handymen. They can run their own business. They might have been plumbers that now they're trying to hand a DC. Maybe they want to grow. Maybe they just want to get the bills paid. And so this kind of comes into like, if you want the really good contractors, you have to, you're not going to get them until you're a really good, um, until you're a really good rehabber. Like the really good contractors work for the city and the state, right? They do big commercial projects, right? The really good contractors do new construction. They do new commercial buildings. The small contractors do small rehabs for small landlords. So they're not that good. If they were really good, they'd grow. Now, maybe you can find somebody who's on their way up and they're going to grow and you can grow with them. And that's really the most perfectest, perfect scenario. But everybody's growing or shrinking at all times. So you got to make sure you get somebody that's in the same zone as you and on the same trajectory. Otherwise, you better start planning to outgrow them anyway. Because you got a good contractor and it's like, well, I had a good property manager. Well, what now I want to buy a 200-unit apartment complex. What are we going to do? So the small property manager may not be able to grow that much. You got to go find somebody else. So it's a constant dude. Like if you think you have the perfect team and you're not getting anybody new, I promise you you're making a mistake. Yep. Like your job is to always be finding the next contractor, the next property manager, the next realtor, the next lender. And I, if my, I don't care what, who on my team hears it. If they heard this, I'd say, yeah, I'm finding other people because you might screw it up one day. I yep. love you. I love everybody on my team. They're fantastic. But man, what if 
everybody go, what if they lose interest? What if they go, what if they want to do something else? What if they find their little niche and it's not the same as me? What if, what if, what if, what if? It's yeah. like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to get too comfortable. And I want to grow, right? Well, I started with families. Now I do 24. Next thing I want to do is 50. Now I'm doing flips. My contractor really doesn't like doing flips. He's like, dude, we do these bulletproof rentals. We know them in and out. We've never really done high quality flips. So it's out of our comfort zone. It's like, maybe he can grow with me. Maybe he can't. But I'm, and then there's always been like, what if, right? Like you hand your contractor $35,000 for a renovation and he gets hit by a truck. Right. And then you're like, oh, well, yeah, the like I need the money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, anything could, anything could happen there, but if you don't have a backup, then you're like, yeah. like I, I at least had a backup when my situation went, my, my biggest struggle is just figuring out which route I want to go to pay for, you know, to finish, which, which option. And I, that's my, today's my, my big to-do list is now that I think I've fleshed out every possible scenario is to just write them all down on paper and just be like, okay, bottom line, which one makes sense? Take the emotion out, show it to three or four people and say, which one? Great. All right. That's not an emotional decision this way, you know, but I have the people. Also, you know, it's really important. And it doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, you remember where we are in the market cycle Yes, at the top? right? Everybody's winning. I mean, there's people that I know that are brain dead morons making money right now. And they don't even know that it's because the economy has done nothing but go straight up nine years straight gangbusters. Boom. Right. In fact, I made more money in the S&P last year than I made in real estate because the, the market is just going gangbusters. And so when that comes to a slow, the people who are on the fringe, the people who are doing okay business and just making it, they're going to go away. So you'd be surprised, you know, you're building your team now and you don't have anybody else in the works. It's like when the business slows, people go do something else. A lot of them, um, or they're more likely to take the money and run. Cause they're like, I got to pay my mortgage. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. So just remember right now is as, be- is as good as it's is as good as it can be just about. And so when you're building teams, think about everybody's in, you know, it's not a contractor, right? It's a human individual and they got their wife and the kids they got their own problems and they got desires and they think certain things about you that maybe you don't realize. And maybe they like working with you. Maybe they don't, maybe they're ready to burn you. And maybe, the last guy burned them and they're jaded and they're, I mean, there's just a million individual circumstances that can change things. And so uh, you got to stay nimble. You got to be, build deep relationships. It's not just about finding some contractor. And I'm glad that you flew out there and met somebody face to face. If you're trying to do a job long distance and I've, I've done a lot of work long distance. Most, in fact, the majority of my portfolio was built long distance, 30 doors. I bought long distance. And if you're not willing to go there and fly, in to shake the people's hands who are going to be handling your assets and your livelihood and your retirement, you're not willing to shake their hand, then I promise you, they care less about you than you care about flying. If you can't fly in, yeah, they're not going to care more about you than you care about them. So yeah, I always you know, try to make that a point. You have to, you have to fly and shake these people's hands yeah. at least once, if not somewhat regularly, um, because they can burn, you know, some guy that emailed me and said, he wants me to do this rehab job. And, you know, I'm going to do good work because I'm a guy, but he's just a faceless investor who's going to make money on my hard work and I don't really care about him. And I have bills and I have my, uh, what, my kid's sick and I have this and that. So I can burn him. But who I can't burn is David, the human, because I know him and I met his wife. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So yep. This, this is a human business. Houses don't write checks. Humans do. Houses don't write checks. They don't have opposable thumbs. Right? It's just drywall. Terrible uh, joke. It's a, what's that? I said there's a terrible joke. It's not a terrible joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> Look, man, I'm not the one insulting my, the intelligence of my user base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just don't know. I mean, to be honest, I couldn't have defined vitriol. 
I know what it means. Like, like I know what it means, but I, I couldn't have given you a definition. Me neither. That's why I looked it up. I was going to say, which made me laugh when I saw you Google it. And I was like, yep. Awesome. Hey, so, uh, because we've been talking for almost an hour, um, and that's longer than most of my recordings, uh, on the note of height of the market, what advice would you give a newbie rolling into 2020? So the, I will tell you that most of the people that you're getting advice from, be careful of people who are giving you advice on how to succeed that have only succeeded when the market is up. Most people who are giving advice, myself included, David included, have only started since the 2008 collapse. So they only know a market where they've won. So we don't know nothing. You need to read books from people who have been through multiple crashes. Um, you don't need to read. The, I'm sorry, David. You don't need to read the books that are commonly the books that tell you to take action are books that are being sold to make money. It's not good advice. Not to say taking action isn't good advice, but the best way to prepare yourself for any incoming potential changes in the economy is to learn how the macroeconomics and the history of the economy have become what they are. Um, you know, read books in the Federal Reserve. Read books on monetary policy, uh, macroeconomics. Read Incerto by Nassim Taleb, um, which I'm always going to recommend. Um, you know, you have to understand the risk that you're taking. You know, it's not the risk that you take that you know that sinks you. It's the risk that you take that you don't know you're taking. That's what gets you. Um, and it's happening every single day. Uh, you have to understand that the uh, unemployment is as low as it can possibly get. Um, inequality is on the rise. Political polarization is on the rise. Um, liquidity as it is at an all-time high, which means anybody can get money for almost anything. Um, and so people are buying stupid stuff. Uh, and you don't want to compete with stupid, I assume. So patience is a virtue. Read books that, are, uh, that your peers are unwilling to read. That's the best preparation for the economic changes is, is knowledge, wisdom. Yeah. Taking action is fine, but it's also, I mean... You can take on risk that will ruin you. Yes. It's not worth it. Yeah, it's gotta Nothing. be it's gotta be calculated actions. Well, but to cal but risk is hard to calculate. I've done well, it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Risk is hard to calculate on paper, right? I've done it for many years. It's an easy process. That's why our can our credit application memos, when you do a, a small business loan at my bank, it's like forty pages. So before you go off and you buy a single family home, try to write out forty pages of everything that can go wrong and how you'd mitigate it. That's how we do yep. real business. That's how we, I, that's how I you really do. I got saved. From so what happened is somebody, somebody does a spreadsheet with a little underwriting spreadsheet and it's like one page and it's like, oh yeah, it makes $200 cash flow and I've never seen the house and it's going to be so easy. It's like, dude, I know people that are going bankrupt right now at the, at this market and it's going, it's getting worse. So just be really careful. Like don't, and play the long game, right? If you're trying to get rich in the next five, if you're like, I'm going to have a million dollars in five years. It's like you, that's the wrong way to go because what's going to happen is you've now set the, I have to make a million dollars and then the variable becomes your behavior. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago on Instagram. Do you remember this, David? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about goals. So if you're like, I have to make a million dollars in five years. Well, the variable becomes your behavior and you'll end up doing all sorts of weird behaviors to try to hit this goal, which is arbitrary. That's called bed of procrustes. You take an, a natural phenomenon and you, uh, an arbitrary, you take an, a phenomenon and you try to fit into an arbitrary box. It's like drugging your kids to go to school. It's insane. <sighs> Get my blood pressure up. So, anyway, <laughs> so um, you know, real estate's a long game. You're getting 30 year mortgages. Think about the long game. You don't have to make anything in two years. Like, it doesn't work that way. I wanted to make it, doesn't work that way. It works like a hockey stick. Yeah. I mean, I probably make 
as much, if not more, in principal pay down on most of my rentals as I do in actual cash flow. <clears throat> maybe maybe not <clears throat> maybe not more, but like my 10 unit, I pay off like ten thousand dollars a year in principal, right? So yeah. like when I think about it, I'm like, hey, the cash flow on this property is great. But what's also great is that every year I hold this thing, like that's just it just grows, right? Like Get it's a lot more equity. It's not worth flipping it for fifty thousand bucks when I'm going to make a hundred thousand over the next decade just in that, not including everything else. Yeah, and look, it's complicated, right? This is why it's hard to give advice on what to do with the economy because everybody who's listening has a different, unique situation. Hmm. And you're more than welcome to email me and, come and ask me what, ask me what I think um, about an individual situation. But the best, the best, the ultimate risk mitigator is knowledge, right? The second best is cash, but the first best is wisdom, is knowledge. And it doesn't come from reading Hal Elrod, I guarantee you. (laughs) All right, so on that note, where can people get a hold of you? Brokersofchoice.com, brokersofchoice.com, brokersofchoice.com. You can find me on Facebook. I talk talk to Facebook, uh, uh, to people on Facebook all the time. Uh, You can find me on Bigger Pockets. Uh, I'm a I'm a heavy contributor to Bigger Pockets on the blog. I was on their podcast. I'm a moderator on the boards. Um, if you live in the North Carolina area, I host a meetup on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. called Real Estate Church. And it is, um, it is well, it's kind of like a cult. People love it. Uh, and if you go to my website, you can video chat me at any t- uh, on Thursday nights if you'd like. And if you're at an event in the main lobby after 10 o'clock at night, drink it. Oh, wait, if you're at an event with me and you want to get to know me, I will be at the bar. <laughs> that's how I got, uh, that's how I made best friends with Zachary Gwynn, the video production manager at Bigger Pockets. We had a three hour whiskey retreat at Bigger yeah, Pockets. That was the first night, wasn't it? That was, I after, I, that was after I went to sleep because I that was, was a blur. I can't. That, that, that was four days of blur. Yeah, man, that was good. But I tried to avoid doing what happened at FinCon. So. That was the, anyway, um, <laughs> Alex, thanks for joining. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.